Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 85 of the Strangers in the Cinema podcast. I am Pete Wall, one of the co-hosts of this show on the regular and joining me this week is producer and sometime collaborator Jack Attack Mills. We are too deep uh, in the booth this time around because Paul Anderson, your um, trusty co-host, my trusty co-host, your friend of mine, is still in the process of moving house. It's actually just moved house, but wasn't all set up in time to do this show. We wanted to have Claire Clark on, who co-hosted last week and did a great job, but unfortunately we've had sort of tech headaches and, and hiccups and things to get over. So, Jack, no pressure, you've got to fulfil two roles this week. Are you up to it, sir? Yeah, I think I, I think I am up for it. Well, there's no thinking about it. You better be. You better yes, be because I there are literally <laughs> there are, there are tens of people relying on you, Jack. Tens. Yes. Tens. Count those tens. Oh, right, then. On one hand, <laughs> uh, maybe two hands. Uh, yeah. So we're going to do a, basically a normal show this week. Uh, if it is a little bit shorter than usual, that's just because there are only two of us. We don't particularly get along. We don't have a lot to say to each other um, and Jack has a very limited interest in films. So we're going to work with all those parameters to deliver something resembling a decent film podcast. First up is in the foyer where we talk about something from the world of films. Then we're going to have popcorn movies. We're going to have coming attractions. We're going to have two features. This week, Jack, what are those two features for our listeners? So we've got A Quiet Place and... Ghost stories. Yeah, we've got a bit of a like horror tip going on this week, yes. or sort of thrilling sort of horror tip with those two things. Uh, one of them, uh, an American-British collab between John Krasinski and his wife Emily Blunt, and the other one, a, a British-based spooky, spooky uh, sort of horror, not anthology, but we'll get more into that later on. And of course, at the end of the show, we might do some credits, although we're going to have to cobble that together because we haven't planned it at all. Uh, first up, though, Jack, in the foyer, I want to talk about any films going into these this week's reviews that came to mind that fit into the category stuff that makes you jump or made you jump out of your seat or just in your seat so when you asked me that question earlier the first film that came up uh was paranormal activity four right i think that was probably the first horror film i went to see at the cinema because i was always pretty scared of horror films yeah and one of the final scenes when uh one of the ghost ladies runs towards the screen. Mm. I literally jumped into the next row at the cinema. <laughs> um, petrified me. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I was going to pick. Have you stuck with that franchise? Like, have you seen all of the movies in that thing? Because there were like five or something in. I think that film, was the right? only one I actually saw in the end. Really? Because I think my friends at uni were going to go and see it at the cinema. So I was like, okay, so I can't be uh, can't be a wimp now. I've got to go and see this. And so, yeah, that was the last one and the only one I've seen because of that. And moment. you said, sorry, which one in the series was it? Number four. Number four. So not so even jumped the first... in at four. <laughs> Just when people are going like, oh, maybe this, maybe this franchise is dying a little bit. Right, I'm, I'm in. I'm in for number four. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember the the thing that killed me in that series because I think you know they are forgettable and so I forget quite a lot of what happens in them is the the bit at the end of Paranormal Activity one which I won't spoil for you too much Jack but it basically just it isn't jumpy until the very end but it just involves a, a person getting out of bed and standing up and staring at their partner and then a very clever sort of in camera trick where they show time lapsing forwards. So you realise that this woman's just been staring at her partner for like seven hours. And that gets so much under my skin. It doesn't make me jump, but it makes me feel like really uncomfortable. Um, I have to go for here, I think, probably the first thing that sort of I pull out of my ass, which is going to be Wreck. Do you know this movie, Jack? Wreck? Oh, I don't think I... Don't think I do actually. No. Rex felt like R E C, as in record. So kind of tying in with the paranormal activity thing. Okay. It's um like a I guess you'd call it a found footage uh, horror thriller. It was originally a Spanish movie and then was remade as a US movie as well. I think it's called. Oh, why do they do? It's that? called Quarantine, I think. The, oh, okay. the American one. But um yeah, the Spanish one. Basically, this journalist, female journalist, goes and follows uh, some firefighters on a call that they've got that night, which isn't in fact a fire seemingly, but it's someone trapped somewhere in an apartment building. And she goes along to basically record and um, document 
what they encounter in this apartment building. But very soon after she arrives, the place is, uh, as you'd guess from the American title, quarantined. They're not allowed to leave and things in the house get really, really weird and really, really jumpy. And there's just some, like, right towards the end of that movie, there's a reveal of a figure that just, yeah, just made me just do a little bit of poo in my pants. That sounds so, terrifying. So, yeah, I don't know about the American one. I haven't seen that and I'm not too bothered because Wreck, the original, is is going to stick with you. And, uh, yeah, really, um, really frightening stuff, actually, at points. So, um, I don't know, Jack, given that we're doing a bit of a truncated show, I think we'll just bounce out of um, in the foyer section and we'll come back in just a moment to do the regular slot, which is Popcorn Movie. We are back with Popcorn Movies. Um, So the way it's going to work this time is Pete's going to do one and then I'm going to do one and then Pete is going to end Popcorn Movies with another film. So, Pete, would you like to go first? I can definitely go first. Yeah, so I've got two movies this week that are of a very different level of quality. Do you want me to start good first or shit first? I'd say shit first. I okay. like shit first. Get, get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, as my careers, uh, careers advisor told me, in life, the things that you have to do are very much like a plate of food and you always eat the food that you don't like first. Wow. Uh, thank okay. you. Thanks for that, Mrs. Beale. So, um, we have here Happy Anniversary. This is an indie rom-com, let's say, that's now streaming on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I think I was watching that yesterday. Right, it's gone like front page. The reason it's gone front page, I would guess, is because of the involvement of Noel Wells that people might know from Master of None, uh, the Aziz Ansari series. And then she was also in a movie called Mr. Roosevelt that I think I might have reviewed on this podcast that was all about her cat. She was, yeah, she was probably the only reason I started watching it. Right. I I think she's talented. And alongside her is Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz is the other guy who is in Entertainment 720 in Parks and Rec with Aziz Ansari again. So he's the glue that ties this duo together, I guess. Uh, What we have is a story of a couple played by those two youngish actors who um, are kind of trying to figure out after three years of being together whether in fact their relationship is supposed to go the distance or whether in fact they are going to drift apart and they don't have enough between them. The problem here is that in any romantic comedy you need to be invested in like wanting the people to get together, right? like wanting to see their romance blossom. And in this thing, both of them end up being so insufferable as to like deem me completely checked out by the end of the movie. Like I didn't care whether the, I just wanted both of them to get like hit by a truck. Um, I didn't care if they were together. I didn't care if they were apart. I didn't care about their individual lives. And that's a really big problem. So um, yeah, I don't know what, I can't, I can't spoil anything because there's not too much plot to spoil here and um, overall I just went in with a lot of good faith in the two leads and came out it finishes this movie with this the the, the worst kind of like cutesy try-hard indie faux romance scene that just drove me nuts I I remember (laughs) as the scene played out I said to my fiance like whatever my star rating is it's going down an entire star just for that closing sequence I, I really did not like this movie at all. Happy anniversary, big disappointment. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Jack, what I have feel, you got? I feel like Netflix keep pushing out that sort of trollop, don't they? Yeah. Trollop. I mean, <laughs> trollop. Trollop's come up on the show for the first time ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about this, Paul and I, and I'm sure you've pitched in as well before, that like the bar of Netflix originals does seem to be relatively low. Um, and I know Netflix co-funded at least this movie as well i mean joe pantoliano is in this thing joey pants um and he's doing sort of a weird accent that's something i guess to get to get you in but not not a great deal else and um yeah it's like what you say about netflix is true there was that one with adam devine when we first met yeah which i didn't watch the girl out spoke about they watch um which was insufferable as well so yeah avoid both of them this one might be slightly better than that one but really neither are worth your time jack what have you got first this week okay so this uh film i viewed on our favorite movie streaming site movie again right um so this is as you are a film that was released in 2015 and it stars um Charlie Heaton, who was in uh, Stranger Things, he was the older brother of Will in that, mm-hmm. and um, 
Amanda Stenberry, who was in the first Hunger Games. Uh, oh, okay. Um, so that was good. So this really is set in the early 1990s, around the time that Kurt Cobain had died. So one of the characters gets fairly upset with that, and it's sort of surrounding these three teenagers as they sort of go through their senior year, as they sort of meet together in a relationship. Um, the two lads, they become sort of like stepbrothers, um, and that sort of relationship that they have is quite exciting. So is it like in Seattle? Like, is it right around the grunge scene? No, it's scene sort of, it, yes, they're sort of very grungy and it's there. But it's in America, just it is not in America. necessarily in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, so it's yeah. in America and it's in like a small town and it's sort of exploring sort of gun violence and um, sort of sexuality and all that sort of thing. And it's all set basically as memories to do with this police investigation, which is surrounding the whole film, mm. which is quite an exciting piece. So it cuts quite a lot into this sort of sort of crispy sort of um, video that you get when you film like police investigations. So like sort of small screen stuff. It was quite an exciting film. And I thought the relationships and stuff were, were very good, how they were portrayed. Um, and it was sort of saying that, gay people weren't really allowed and it was sort of accepting themselves and they couldn't really accept themselves for being gay in that sense and that's sort of the sexuality bit that I was talking about. The performances are great in this actually because they're, they're all fairly unknown so mm. that was quite exciting and I think movie tends to sort of let you experience those films that you might not necessarily find if you're looking for them so I saw this in the United States I thought okay I'll going to watch this because a lot of them on movie are foreign films so sometimes it's quite hard to pick which one you want to watch you didn't have the energy for reading on that particular no i didn't occasion, no not know. on this particular occasion so yeah if you have or are a member of the movie streaming service when, when was this released uh 2015 and it's directed okay. by miles joris Piante, Pe i think it's that's very easy for you to say jack yeah <laughs> so yeah um quite cool uh, so he wrote the screenplay as well which is quite exciting yeah and for anyone who doesn't know i'm sure we've hammered on about it enough but this movie service spelled m-u-b-i uh, dot com i believe is uh, a service whereby like there are only ever 30 movies at a time so like in the case of this movie that jack's watched this week that'll be bumped off the service once it gets to sort of the end of the conveyor belt of those 30 30 days that it has which is a nice way of sort of incentivizing the the customer base the uh, the viewers i suppose to actually go ahead and watch stuff rather than putting it off indefinitely because i know like a thing with netflix or, or prime video is you'll you'll put a movie on your watch list or your your sort of earmark it is something you want to get to and then you never do and then like two three years later someone will go like oh, have you seen that movie yet oh yeah it's on my watch list because it's been there for three years and um yeah <laughs> so so movie i think does a relatively good job the only thing with that is and i don't know how you found it because you got the service too like i get a bit more guilt with movie because i see a fit film that's like halfway down the page and i think oh i've got like two weeks to watch that and then suddenly it's two weeks later and it's just been booted off. Yeah, and it disappears. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it shows you the one that's just been booted off. And you're like, oh, I'm <laughs> oh, a no. terrible person. That's like, the one I wanted to watch. Yeah, I'm never going to get to see it again. I remember this was, um, there was a movie on there called uh, On Body and Soul. It okay. has like a deer. You've probably seen it like deer in like a winter scene in the, yeah, in the yeah. artwork. And it was on there and then it went off and I missed it. And I thought, like, I'm never going to see that movie. And I think it won a, an award, like a fairly significant award, uh, maybe Berlin Film Festival, I'm not sure. Okay, cool. Um, and then it came back on the service. And I was like, oh, I've been given a second chance. Yeah. And I missed it again. <laughs> you missed it again. Oh, no. It can happen. <laughs> but um, I'm going to keep a positive attitude about these things because, Jack, the second movie that I want to review this week for Popcorn Movies is Happy Go Lucky. Oh, wow. Um, Happy Go Lucky is probably in that category of movies that I meant to see for about a decade because it came out in 2008. This is a Mike Lee movie starring Sally Hawkins that's moved sort of into an even brighter limelight recently with um, The Shape of Water, of course, where she played the, the mute girl in that. In this one, she plays a character who is perennially happy. Her name's Poppy, and she sort of breezes through life trying to cheer everyone up, trying to tell them that things aren't so bad, trying to crack jokes or make little word plays and bring a bit of sunshine to the lives of the people around her. This 
hit some critics in whatever the opposite of the funny bone is, I guess, because I felt that what I'd heard about this movie was the the character is very cloying and irritating and you won't want to hang out with her for two hours. I don't think that could be further from the truth. I think that's a very short-sighted way of looking at this movie. And I think that this is one of one of my favourite Mike Lee films and one of my favourite Sally Hawkins films as well. The performance is fantastic. There's an amazing performance as well here from Eddie Marzen. Jack, do you know the guy Eddie Marzen who's in like every movie ever? Uh, he's got, he's a British, British actor, quite stocky, receding hairline, uh, a little bit pudgy around the face. Not, okay. not a fat man. No, um, not a fat man. But he's been in, in literally everything. I think he's got about 130 IMDb credits. Here he plays her driving instructor. Um, oh, okay. And he is gradually unravelling and revealing himself to be like really angry at the entire world. Like a real counterpoint to this poppy character right yeah and what you get through him and a number of other characters who pop up through this like slice of life in london sally hawkins is british here she's in britain she's not doing an american accent or, or living in another you know society and uh, what you get here is to realize that this movie isn't really about the happy-go-lucky central figure per se it's about the sadness and anger and regret and self-loathing of most of the other people that she runs into. Okay. Like she's a really good uh, sort of, <laughs> I don't know what the word is for this. Like um, she brings out of people, I think they're true characters and a lot of what she then witnesses is quite ugly, but she's forever trusting and open. And uh, yeah, it just really, really worked for me all the way through to a, a really, really well-judged, complete opposite to the last review, actually, really well-judged closing sequence, which is her and her best female friend uh, on a boating lake with a really slow pull-away shot, which I just thought wow. was, was really artfully done. Be beautiful way to sort of sign off on a film that isn't attempting to bring, like, high drama or any moments of big action. This is just a slice of life and a character study of someone trying to be happy in a world that, well, pivotally in 2008 was getting yeah. increasingly and exponentially sadder. <laughs> so, um, yeah, highly recommended from me anyway. That's Happy Go Lucky from 2008, directed by Mike Lee and starring Sally Hawkins. Oh, and I should say in this, uh, Andrea Riseborough's in it and I seem to like everything that she's in. I mean, she was in Black Mirror recently. Uh, she was in the tennis movie, Battle of the Sexes, um, oh, yeah. which is really okay. good. She was in uh, all sorts of stuff. Look her up. She's great. Um, we wow. will be back, though, with another great thing, which is going to be a section that we like to call Coming Attractions. That's right. We're uh, back for Coming Attractions, the part of the show where we sort of look at films that are about to come out and look at the trailers and talk through the trailers we do precisely that jack yes we do precisely that have you got something that you're like getting pant wettingly excited about this week that's coming out <laughs> soon are you going to do like your classic jack mills which is pick a film that's coming out in like a year or are you going to do something that's coming out really really soon like you did recently like you did recently when you started to turn the corner how far away is your movie? Uh, my movie is... Um, or what is your movie? I what is my movie, first important. of all? Okay, so it's called The Meg. Oh, you haven't. We've, <laughs> picked, we've picked the same movie. Oh, I thought you might. Okay, have. whilst you're talking about okay. The Meg, dude, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to get something else. So carry on. Brilliant. So, uh, sorry, Pete, but I'm going to take this one for the team. Uh, this is called The Meg. It's a thriller film, fantasy-esque, and it comes out on the 10th of August. So a fairly long way away. And it's about a megalodon, massive shark that went extinct two million years ago. But who's in it, Jack? But so who's in, who's in it? Oh, uh, Jason Statham. That's all you need to know, Jason Statham. Jack, what is the name? Have you got the list on IMDb there? What's the name of the character played by Jason Statham? Because this is like my favourite part. Uh, I've got it here, I think, if not. Jonas Taylor. He plays Jonas Taylor. Jack, his first name is Jonas. So he's going to introduce himself at some point being like, Roy, no, that's not the right My answer. name is Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, it's also starring Ruby Rose, who is called Jack's Heard. Ru Ruby Rose, by the way, who um, apparently is a, as a teenager, was asked if she was uh, a really handsome boy or a beautiful girl. Yes. Um, and wanted to have gender realignment uh, procedures uh, on herself. And... 
more on the Ruby Rose thing. She's a stunningly beautiful human being. Incidentally, she is. Definitely. She was in the uh, Xander Cage Triple X thing recently. She was. Um, <laughs> which I think there's going to be uh, there's going to be a sequel that she's in soon. But um, oh, she wow, okay. apparently nearly drowned making the Meg. So uh, she's, oh. she's invested in this thing. So yeah, also starring Lee Bingbing. Uh, so how and, it works. and Rain Wilson from the American yeah. Office as well. So Jonas Taylor, who is obviously played by Jason Statham, is um, recruited by visionary Chinese oceanographer to save the crew from this prehistoric threat. It's almost like you're reading that off your phone. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm trying to do it in a, in a funnier way, but, you know, it's not working. So they're working at the bottom of the deepest trench in the Pacific Ocean, and the whole crew is basically trapped inside, and this big shark is trying to eat them all. Didn't this, when you read that synopsis or saw the trailer, you think of, I would say, one movie and one movie alone, and it isn't Jaws. It's Deep Blue Sea. Oh, I do remember that now, film, yeah. interestingly, perhaps, Jack, Deep Blue Sea has a sequel, and that sequel is coming out, I believe, this summer, maybe oh, wow, July. Okay. Although it looks as if it's going to maybe jump straight to uh, home video uh, release, disc release, yeah. because it looks like trash. Uh, however... Funnily enough, when they first pitched the Meg, it was way, way, way back in, I think, 97 or 98, just after the publication of the book on which it's based. Okay. And at that point, the decision was made that they didn't want to go head to head with Deep Blue Sea. They were worried about competition from that movie, so it was shelved. Then it was going to be the director of uh, Cradle of Life, the Tomb Raider movie, was going to put the film out, I think, in the mid-2000s. And again, budgetary problems and sort of differences of opinion, I believe, stopped that from happening. And then more recently, I think about 2015, Eli Roth was attached to this. Um, oh. And from what I've heard, he wanted to not only direct, but also star in the uh, <laughs> in the Jonas role, that like, juicy <laughs> really? Jonas okay. role that we've got there. Well, they probably wouldn't have got Jason Statham back in the day, though, would they? So. Well, it's all fallen into place, Jack, because yeah, we, have, we have a megalodon, we have Jason Statham, and we have Ruby Rose's uh, cheekbones. So, I mean, what else... Two big What else could you, could you possibly want? <laughs> Sounds brilliant. So that's the 10th of August, 2018. Okay, so where can I go now that um, you've taken that from right underneath me? I mean, you weren't to know that we just both thought alike because that's clearly the most brilliant movie that's coming out yeah, all summer. Yeah, it is, totally. Um, I guess the only place that's logical to go from there is uh, 11th of April, which isn't that like this week? It's today. Is it 11th of April It is today? the 11th of oh, April wow. today. We're recording on the 11th. If this goes out tomorrow, we're going to sound pretty stupid. Yeah. But <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, so coming out this weekend anyway, after previews, is Rampage. And I don't think we've talked about it yet necessarily, have we? Uh, I think Paul has, but let's just... Let's just pretend yeah. that he hasn't. Um, this one stars a character called Davis Okoye. Played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. That's all I need. Oh, no, one other element, a giant gorilla. Uh, that's it. Jason that's it. Statham and a megalodon uh, and The Rock oh, like and the a gorilla. That, that's, that's brilliant. That's all we really need. Uh, yeah, it's directed by Brad Payton. Uh, anybody else in this who's interesting? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Malin Ackerman. She is incredibly beautiful. Um, oh, Joe Man Manganiello, if that's his name, is the one who's married to Sofia Vergara. So um, those are all interesting things, I guess. Yeah, who knows? It's The Rock and a Monkey and I'm in. And it's yeah. coming out this weekend. So we'll do a review of it probably on next week's show if Paul can be persuaded to, to go that way. Uh, this was a bit of a slapdash attempt at um, previewing some movies. But in a moment, we're going to get dead serious and we're going to really settle in for a couple of feature reviews. So we'll be right back. Yeah, so it's about time we got into the nitty and gritty bits of this show. Uh, this week's features are going to be A Quiet Place and Ghost Stories. Um, so yeah, Pete, would you like to start with A Quiet Place for me? I would absolutely love to get real, really quiet and talk about the movie A Quiet Place. Should we talk about the whole movie in whispers? I think that's probably it, yeah. Okay, that's not really going to work as a review, I suppose, is it? No. So for the purposes of this, we're going to have to make a bit of noise and inevitably get our faces ripped off by some kind of uh, shadow-dwelling monster. <laughs> um, a Quiet Place, as I mentioned at the uh, beginning of the show, is directed by John Krasinski, 
working from um, a script that I believe was written by a, a team of two writers. In this movie, he co-stars with his IRL wife, Emily Blunt. Um, the setup is pretty simple. They are the mother and father in a family who live in the woods, seemingly in some kind of post-apocalyptic um, world that is besieged by monsters that hunt purely through their heightened sense of sound. So what we establish very early on here from I think a very effective opening sequence involving a, a miniature model of the uh, space shuttle is that if you make a noise in this world your days in fact minutes are numbered because you will very very quickly be set upon by one if not more very powerful very scary very toothy monsters um yeah that, that basically wants to rip you limb from limb so the family have um hunkered down on their homestead to try to live as quietly as possible while still maintaining some level of quality of life they've got two young two children i think jack is that right at no. the outset well there's there's yeah they've two got children. two at the outset of the film right yes yeah, yeah they've got two young children at the outset of the film and both are being sort of trained up to understand what it is that it means to live in this world and to follow like all the rules that are in place about what you can and can't do like for everything down to we see the kids at one point playing a game of um, monopoly but even in the game of monopoly they have to use like really soft counters knitted pieces yes because they can't use plastic because it makes too much noise and then even within those confines there's still the risk that at some point someone flails an arm and something goes yeah. horribly horribly <laughs> wrong right um yes uh, yeah i see what you mean now i've just i've just listened back to our conversation in my own mind and realized that yeah at the outset of the film they have three kids actually don't they let's be completely honest yeah. <laughs> i don't think that's spoiling too much no um yeah so i don't know whether we're dropping a clip into this are we putting a clip in yeah let's hear a clip then <sighs> So that clip sort of follows the trailer um, and the bits you see in the trailer because we don't really want to spoil anything of the film. So for me, this film was the right length for a sort of horror film. Yeah, it's like 90 minutes. 90 minutes long, which was great, which meant that I wasn't shit scared for longer than 90 minutes, which was always good. I think it was full of jumps which obviously going into this you sort of knew that there was going to be quite a few scary parts it was a really really clever scenario i thought because the majority of the film was just eerie background noise and hardly any speech and the speech that was in it was really clever how they worked it in yeah well funnily enough jack the, the original screenplay had one line of dialogue which is incredible, one. really. If you, which is incredible, one. really, if you think but, about it. But you can see why the decision's been taken to include a little bit more. And there's actually one or two quite clever devices for shoehorning in additional dialogue. Yes. Uh, in in terms of the the father explaining to his son that if the and to the audience, I suppose that if you're near a louder source of sound, then your voice isn't going to get you the usual, you know, savaging that it would in the in the regular world. So that yeah. they. They find ways to sort of get around not being able to speak at all for, for you know, not many moments in the movie, but enough to keep the audience, I think, engaged. Yeah. And so I think there were there were a few really clever scenes that really stood out for me. Um, one of those was he was on, the father figure who's played by John um, Krasinski. Krasinski, which is a Polish name. He basically lights a fire on top of this grain store and you see flames across the sort of horizon which sort of states that there are more people still around mm. you don't necessarily see these people in the film but that is quite an exciting 
um, scene. Well, yeah, and, and just to, to double down on this, the grain silo um, stuff here, when, with again, without stepping on any particular plot points, there is a moment where everybody watching the movie is going to be willing the father to do what every human being's instinct would be in that situation, which is just call out to his kids or for his kids to call out to him. But both sides of that potential um, exchange know that shouting out to your loved one is just not to possible. Because that's yeah. You're, yeah. you're all fucked um, if which, that happens. Yeah, which really. I think sort of added to the, the element of scariness of even the slightest sound made would be sort of the end of their lives really there were the monsters what did you think of the monsters yeah i mean so this is where i've come in with the point that i i agree with you jack that i think that the setup is very smart and this was actually on that um uh, i don't know if it's called a hit list or a blacklist the the list of hollywood's basically most valuable scripts i think in 2017 because so much was thought of this central premise and how yeah. it could be carried off um, and originally it was going to be somebody else in the female role, but then Emily Blunt was also blown away by the screenplay that she signed on and then wanted John Krasinski to be working with her. And so I think that partnership worked out really well. I think John Krasinski as a filmmaker that we've seen in the director's chair two or three times before is growing into something oh, is. Yeah, definitely. That, that could be really interesting. And I think here we have this balance between, on the one hand, some very well-handled uh, tense moments camera positions, um, framing that's very uh, considered from yeah. Krasinski. On the other hand, there's a lot of fairly recycled material here. Like from uh, things like Children of the Corn to um, particularly the Neil Marshall movie, The Descent, in terms of one sequence of the film, which seemed almost a little bit, a little bit stolen. Maybe that's yeah. too harsh. <laughs> uh, the monsters will make you think, I think, of something like um, Cloverfield. I thought the monsters, for me, looked exactly like the Stranger Things monsters. Yeah. If any of you... Yeah, have yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good shout as well, I think. So there are a lot of elements where you'll sort of recognise what, what's being pastiched into a sort of um, a new... IP, I guess. Well, I think as a director, he did well considering that he first started out on the the American version of The Office, yeah, and he's come a long way of that. But the the fact that him and Emily Blunt are actually husband and wife anyway, I think that sort of added to their performance together and the sort of the relationship, and they really clicked as characters. Yeah, they film. do, they do, and she's fantastic. I mean, a, is, yeah. a lot, a, a lot, if not sort of most of their emotional heavy lifting is is left to Emily Blunt, and I think she's the best thing in the movie in terms of performances. Yes, anyway, of I think John Krasinski is good. I think he's a talented actor. I think he's done a lot more stuff that's comedic than he has serious, perhaps. And there's one sequence in this movie, and again, I won't say what it is, but I think you'll know that involves some slow motion which I think he couldn't quite carry off. It's sort of like an emotionally cathartic sequence. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know that that quite worked for me. And I think, actually, slow motion in moments of emotional catharsis just, I, I find... It doesn't really go together, They're it? really hard to do. I think yeah. they're really hard to do. And, and more often than not, I think they don't, they don't quite hit home for me anyway. But yeah, some really, like, smartly uh, arranged sequences. We've mentioned that grain silo bit. That's really good. The bit with the um, stairs and a loose nail Ooh. is going to stick in your head yeah. for the rest no. of the year, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be checking it, any steps that I just walked very, up. It's very blatant of what's going to happen, but you, it sort of shocks you at the same time. I right, think. and we haven't mentioned so far that there is this sort of ticking time bomb, which sounds like a horrible thing to say about a human life, but there is a ticking time bomb here, which is that the Emily Blunt character in the movie is pregnant. And so we know that at some point, what is going to be brought into this very sort of suffocating tight situation is the last kind of type of person that you want around, which is a screaming and crying baby. Yeah. And, and not only that, but you know that Emily Blunt's going to have to go through labour somehow in silence, which, you know, it, which I think <laughs> is great because it gets the audience prepared for what you know is an inevitability, a sort of horrifying inevitability. Yes. And I think that's, that's one of the most powerful elements of horror in general is when like, you know something awful is going to have to be faced and you just, the director's there kind of leading you slowly towards that inevitability. I think yeah. that's, that's handled really, really well. I mean, the, the way in which that all comes together, I think is perfect. I wanted to ask you though, Jack, there have been people, and I read a whole review that was based around panning the film on this one point, who say 
How could they make the most rudimentary error and be so stupid as to be pregnant in this situation? Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I think you have to sort of watch the film to understand why they probably got pregnant in the first place. Yeah. To, to me, it seemed kind of clear. Like, I, yeah. wrote, I wrote a response to someone on Letterboxd, actually, to just say, like, maybe it's because they're in a near hopeless situation. They love each other. And they want to be close yes, to each other. Yes, of course. When and you're an adult, still a family, uh, you know, for, even for, though all this is going on in the background. Isn't yeah, it? adults who love each other might want to, you know, like do some adult cuddling at some point. And you can't really <laughs> yeah. crucify them for that. And to no. be fair, you know, that they're within their right, and they're the ones who are going to have to handle that anyway. Yeah, that that sequence is brilliant. The only thing I, I would say, again, on the slightly less positive side, is that I think this film had a logical endpoint, and then it would have been under feature length. And then I think there was a sequence at the end that felt to me a bit tacked on yes. involving yeah, hear hearing aids. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough as well, the, the daughter and the whole centre of that hearing aid section, who I think is perfectly good in this movie, yeah. is deaf herself. So it's, Yeah, it's, I think that was from birth. quite clear actually. But from birth, yeah, she, she was deaf. So um, not only is the character deaf, I mean, but the, the actress has yeah. been deaf since birth. So yeah, it was really interesting to see a movie where like, sign language was utilised quite so much yes absolutely. it reminded me a bit of that movie um, Hush yeah, Hush okay. the home invasion movie about the girl who, the woman who's deaf yeah. uh, as well so like a load of stuff will pop into your mind if you're sort of horror thriller literate you're going to recognise this as not entirely original work but it is effective it's taking a lot of money right now I think this thing had like a oh I had the bu the budget in my mind just the it's multiples of its yeah. of its budget already on just after sort of opening weekend. And in the States I mean, I've read a lot of stuff where people have been like, they basically want John to be their their father figure, to be their father because he is an incredible performance as just a father figure that's trying to get them all through this really harrowing time. I was just going to say, Jack, that like it it does a good job as well of just making the audience live that world and oh, I think does, that's yeah. really to his credit like you watch this movie and it's very hard not to be like in your mind thinking what would I do here you know how would I get through would I even want to get through this would I blow my head off because I just don't want to deal with yeah. it anymore um, I don't think I could not make sound although also Jack I will say if I were in this situation because I did a lot of that thinking about my own responses in this yeah. movie I tell you what I wouldn't do hang up heavy wood framed photographs all over my house just saying. If you knock one of them down, your whole family's ripped to pieces. Yeah, so. But yet, that's what they've done. And the set design, <laughs> it works. Logically, not so much. Yeah. But but yeah, enjoyable, I think, this thing. Enjoyable, thrilling, worth 90 minutes of the cinema, yes, for sure. Yes, definitely. We'll be back in just a moment with another little uh, spooky treat, which is the British horror movie Ghost Stories. Okay, we are back for our second feature this evening. Uh, this one, as Pete just mentioned, is Ghost Stories, uh, an English horror film. Uh, who's this directed by, Pete? This is directed by Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, who were, I believe, uh, as Paul would say to the to the uh, void, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were both involved in League of Gentlemen, which was a sort of subversive black comedy show. Oh, in, okay, in, that in makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you it see does. the imprint of that, I think, yeah. on, on this movie. What it is, um, ghost stories, because it seemed to me that this might be some sort of just horror anthology where you know a few filmmakers have joined their stuff together you know like vhs or something like that that we've talked about it yeah. isn't that it really isn't no that. it's not what we've got is um a setup in which a skeptic that skeptic is played by andy nyman one of the directors is first of all in the first sequence he is going to see a spirit medium quote unquote uh, performing to a live audience and he's there to debunk the myth of the spirit medium and the supernatural and otherworldly like uh, capabilities and um, we quickly realise that that is his life's work to debunk supernatural hucksters right um, from here he clearly has had this sort of a mentor student-ish relationship with an older man who is also a sceptic and that man becomes a mystery in himself because he vanishes 
down the line reappears via a tape that he sends to our skeptic that takes that skeptic to visit him in what is kind of like a run-down, uh, decrepit trailer in the middle of nowhere, where he says um, to our Andy Nyman uh, skeptic here that all the stuff that they've been trying to debunk the pair of them is actually true and the supernatural is real and he will believe this once he's gone and visited three people and those people will tell him about their three cases that involve supernatural powers and, and interference, right? Yeah. Um, I think before we talk any more about the movie, let's hear a little clip. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. <coughs> my job is to explain the unexplainable, untangle the truth from the fiction. You don't have to have your life ruled by superstitious fear. So, yeah, we are back. Uh, fantastic little clip there, which sort of highlights generally what the film's going to be about. You're, you're such a fantastic liar, Jack. We have no idea what that clip highlights. Oh, come Could on. Could be literally anything. <laughs> Could have been anything. We're, we're doing this thing on the fly. Let's be open and honest. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a brilliant clip, though. You're right in that yep. regard. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I left off at the point that this guy has got to go and visit three uh, different individuals, learn about three cases, and they are presented as such. We've got case one, case two, case three, three different names, right? Yep. In the first case, uh, well, you, you jump in here. This is the Paul Whitehouse sequence, right? Where a British comedy stalwart, Paul Whitehouse, plays a very sort of serious and, and very creepy and affected role as a janitor who um, is, is haunted. It's the first one's sort of set in a an old abandoned mental institute mm. just those words and just that description is creepy it's basically creepy and when he first started describing that i was like okay i'm gonna have to put my hands over my eyes now because that's terrifying a bit like um do you know that movie session nine Yes. Yeah. Okay. A bit, a bit like that setting, right? Yeah. Where you've no, got absolutely. like, yeah, all this like dark history in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe there are ghosts. Maybe he's just scared. Maybe he's seeing what his mind is sort of creating yeah. in front of him. And initially, uh, they also said that there, you know, it was a place for like abandoned children and stuff. Mm. And for me, children in horror films are just the worst. Like that is generally just terrifies me uh, to the extreme. And this film really did in that in that those moments yeah i mean i guess we're not going to go blow for blow through every sequence but like in that first sequence of paul whitehouse what struck me was i've mentioned this a little bit when we're talking about a quiet place but like really really smart and and intelligent and and sort of thought out positioning of the camera yes and like I've not seen anything in a long time where like panning uh, torchlight across a frame has been done better than here. Yeah. Like really, really great stuff where he's going down these dark little corridors and abandoned buildings, trying to find something, hearing all the noises. The closest uh, amalg amalgam, the cr closest analogy I, I would give with this is like playing like a Resident Evil video game in VR yeah. or something like that. Like it's got that immersive <laughs> feel to it. Oh, so it's that's really that did. sequence. We've got a middle sequence, which I know you're not as hot on. No. It, it, it's a kid. Um, he's borrowed his parents' car. He's lied about passing his driving test and he gets uh, into difficulties in the woods. He may or may not have killed a person by accident. Um, it reminded me of Black Mirror and Andrea Riseborough again that we've yeah. mentioned today. <laughs> and um, then that one abruptly comes to an end. Can't spoil anything. Then we've got a third sequence with Martin Freeman, uh, Tim out the office, or uh, the people will know from, from The Hobbit, obviously more recently in Sherlock, um, who I think is brilliant here. I'm not sure I like that actor very much, but I think he's really, oh, I think really he, good. Yeah, I think his uh, portrayal of this strange sort of stuck-up character was was really good, actually. Yeah, his, his whole deal is like he and his wife waited too long to have a child, had yeah. to go through IVF, then the child. Like, there's so much pulling from horror history. Oh, here. it was. I think, and especially with the, as well as The Quiet Place, I think a lot of horror films do tend to now take things from 
very famous horror films because they know that that sort of that works that suspense works. Well, they're just they're pushing buttons in a, in an audience that is savvy and 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 horror film oh, literate, yeah, totally. right? And I think that that's where these directors um, succeed in, in this movie is that it's not dumbed down. It's not just thrown in there in a sort of scary movie sense so that you can tick them <laughs> off and be like, I know what that is, I know what that is, I know what that is. Even Ready Player One, dare I say, recently was maybe a bit more like that yeah, for me. Yeah, it was, yeah. But like here, instead, it's like, oh, she's had this baby, we don't see it, but we know that it could be kind of x file Is it a demon? Is yeah. it like, a, you know, a creature <laughs> or, of some kind? And then... Um, this, the bit, again, I can't ruin it, but with Martin Freeman saying, well, what I learnt was life finds a way. And then what happens straight after that? Man. Oh, I totally did not expect that to happen. So, so like, we're running through all this stuff and it pulls on all these horror movies and, and sort of thriller tropes and things like that. But then there's a last section in this movie. And this is a bit that we really can't talk about because you have to go and see it for yourself. Yes. What's come before is pulled together in a convergence of so many um, motifs and signs and signals and themes that you feel like you're dealing with a sort of, um, I don't know, distant cousin of David Lynch or something. I was really taken by this movie, much, much more than I thought I would be. I think that the way that they rounded it off was superb in a way that I think has been underappreciated by a great deal of the people who've been writing reviews and, and you yeah, know, speaking Yeah, I sort of half expected that because obviously this is something that's coming out of England or British cinema, yeah. which we don't really have that many sort of films that are very horror-based, I suppose. From And this smart as well. This is like... very smart and it's, it's incredibly put together yeah. in terms of, you know, the sort of how it, it works, I suppose. And and you're right, like, that uh, the, we don't have many films of this ilk, and also films that are this dark and this creepy and this tense that are also quite funny at times. Yeah, there were, you know, there were a few funny moments in this, and I went into this film not expecting much because I hadn't sort of watched the trailers or anything. I didn't really know much about the whole film, which I think was better for my viewing experience and if I'd, you know, I'd sort of done a lot more research and sort of watched it a bit more. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, I was sort of sat on the edge of my chair, sort of in a little bit of sort of shock for some of the scenes, but then I think some of it's a little bit more funny. And I think you yeah. get that because obviously the writers are sort of included with the League of Gentlemen mm. and you sort of get a few of those aspects in this film. And the quirkiness of the, the sort of the British cinema, I suppose. Because they, the League of Gentlemen people, and I, and I should know this more clearly, but they did that thing uh, after League of Gentlemen that was all... Uh, behind, was it behind number yeah, nine? Yeah, which yeah. was like a, a little bit funny, but like mostly quite serious, a bit like Black Mirror yeah, and stuff at, yeah, at times. Yeah. And you get maybe a better sense of that than you do pure yes. weirdness from, yeah, from League so. of Gentlemen. And then you've got like shouts to Sooty and Sweep in this movie. Oh, that was just so <laughs> weird. As well as the O2 phone network that's yeah. going to go straight over the heads of a, an American audience, I suppose. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, so a few bits for British British folk in here, I yeah. guess, which is a nice little nod. And yeah, it, this for me is a bit of a sleeper. And I came out of it and sort of made my notes about the film. And I thought, quite realistically, this could trouble my top 10 at the end of the year. Like, I really have gone that hard on it. And maybe that's because I'm kicking against some of what I feel to be slightly, uh, like, wrong-headed write-ups on the film. But I think if you've got any chance of seeing Ghost Stories, please check it out. Because there's so much to enjoy there if you're a fan of, you know, horror genre movies and, and any of the people involved, including Martin Freeman. Which, at this at this stage, Martin Freeman is a, a giant, you know, Hollywood property, isn't he? Uh, oh, he is, the, yeah. The Especially stuff. after, yeah, The Hobbit. Um, so, yeah, I think... For those that want to see him in, in something different, I think this is an ideal candidate for that. Absolutely, absolutely. And hopefully you'll get like a decent run at the cinema. And, and I hope so. Get married too quickly. I know that they've got decent reviews so far. Just looking at the page, 75 at time of recording on, on Metacritic, which is not bad at all, particularly no. for something that's a bit more niche. So more power to them. Ghost Stories is really good. Check it out. Uh, apparently from 2017, although I think it's really come out wide uh, this year. Yes. Uh, not at festivals and stuff like that. 
Now, Jack, to round off today's show, having done those two sort of creepy uh, dark <laughs> reviews, yeah. have you got something a bit more light-hearted, something that um, you are happy about or that you could call a credit or give credit to? Okay, well? I suppose I could. there is one thing I could give credit for. So I went, to, obviously, I went to see Ghost Stories today at the cinema and I booked the tickets on the Cineworld app last night and I got to the, the bit where you go through the doors to go and go to the screens and the woman looked at me and she said, Oh, these tickets are booked for the 12th of April for the mm. four o'clock showing tomorrow. Today is the 11th and you've booked for the wrong day. So my credit goes to the quick, quick and easiness of using the Cineworld app on your phone to basically book more tickets so you can go and see a screening that you want to go and see. Nice. Yeah. I mean, whilst, whilst you're on that, I, I've heard from our uh, co-conspirator, Paul Anderson, that Odeon, which is another one of the big chains in the UK, have an app of their own, but apparently not as good. So it's very easy to bag on uh, Cineworld because they do make a lot of uh, mistakes and sometimes seem to be sort of giving the proverbial finger to their uh, audiences. But in the stuff like updating of that service, obviously they're doing a good job. Yeah, um, definitely. And I would say in, in putting on stuff like Ghost Stories as well, they are doing a, a good job of at least yeah, attempting I think, yeah. to, to have some diversity on screen. Because it's very easy always to focus on the negative. I feel like I've been infected by the uh, spirit of Sally Hawkins here, uh, at least in Happy Go Lucky, <laughs> because like, it's very easy to go like, oh, this chain shit and that chain shit. Well, you know what? If those chains closed down, my life would be a lot worse. So yeah, yeah <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and keep a balanced uh, view. My recommendation for this week or my credit is going to go to someone I think I've already given credit to probably in the past, but that would be uh, Janelle Monet because you guys need to know that Janelle Monet is not only killing it in Hollywood, but is putting out a new album first in about five, four, five years uh, at the end of this month, the end of April. Um, that one is going to be called Dirty Computer. It's not really a music recommendation, but the fact is that in her two recent videos, they are uh, The Way You Make Me Feel and Pink, she is collabing with Tessa Thompson, that you know from Thor Ragnarok, who is just like this badass uh, British actress. Yeah. And the, the combination of Janelle Monet and Tessa Thompson is just something to behold. Rumours are online that that might be a little bit more than a friendship, who knows? But if, it, if there is indeed a couple, they are really pushing anyone else hard for most beautiful and talented couple on earth. So uh, props to Janelle Monet, and hopefully, once the album's out and she's done some touring, she'll have some more movies um, on the horizon because not involved in a great deal, I think, at the time of recording um, because obviously of the music commitments as well. So she's amazing. They're both amazing. Look out for them in the future. And of course, Tessa Thompson was recently in Annihilation, so she's she's been busy. Yeah. Um, Right, that is the end of this show. I hope it went okay. I hope you've got some enjoyment out of it, even though we're only two deep, not three or, or more this week. If you would like to get in touch with us, do it probably best is, is via Twitter, which is at Strangers Cinema. Otherwise, we've got the Strangers in a Cinema Gmail, which is Strangers in a Cinema at gmail.com, as you might have guessed. Otherwise, there's Facebook and all the other channels. And all of the back episodes of this show are available via SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash strangers in a cinema we appreciate your support tell your friends pass it around we'll see you next time